Thad and Chancery. I bet you didn't know Chancy's short for Chancery. Um, now you know. So, funny story is, I had convinced Megan that that was actually true. Like, Chancy's just a nickname for Chancery. She's like, oh, that's pretty. <laughs> so. Poor Megan, married to this schlub. <laughs> Poor Megan. I got it. That got an amen from Clifford. <clears throat> the local church needs leaders. This is God's design, and it's, it's something that's likely not new to you. The church needs leaders. Without people who are willing to lead and to serve and to volunteer and to give, without people who are willing to step up and use their gifts, without people who are willing to minister to all those the Lord has given us, without people who are willing to do what it takes to reach the lost, the local church will wither away into obscurity and possibly obsolescence. The work the Lord has for us is too big, too important, too weighty for any one person to handle. We all need each other, and we need a plurality of men, a, a group of like-minded men to lead us, to guide us, as a shepherd guides and cares for his sheep. We need men who will give oversight to the body, men who will give their attention to the prayer and ministry of the word. As the leadership of the church goes, so goes the church. Who will lead the church is not a matter of triviality. It's not a merely, oh, they'll do in a pinch scenario. It's more than the church taking out a personal ad, traditional, established, independent Christian church seeking faithful, spiritually mature men to give several hours a week to oversight, leadership, vision, teaching, preaching, praying, all interested parties inquire within. We don't do that. Who will lead the church is a matter of serious consideration. It's not a free-for-all, open-job application kind of job. This is something the church must take seriously. And the Lord, as always, is gracious to raise up men of God, to unite them to our local church family, and to call them to this role. We're so blessed, Rich Hill Christian Church to have a number of men in this local body who are either ready to step into this role and lead or to join the elder team in the next few years. And we have both men and women who are ready to step into the role of deacon, a role that we'll discuss next week. For this week, for our purposes here this morning, as we continue on in our study of 1 Timothy, we're going to look at the biblical office of elder, pastor, overseer. These three words, elder, pastor, overseer, describe the same role using different titles. Elder comes from the Jewish background. Generally, those with seniority would be the leaders and the decision makers. In the New Testament church, elder doesn't have anything to do with physical age or maturity, but rather spiritual maturity. Pastor, a little Latin lesson for you, pastor is the Latin word for shepherd. The visual of shepherd is all the image we need to describe the office of pastor, the one who loves and is, care, and is concerned for those in his care. Overseer, your Bible might say bishop, a word overseer, bishop, is the one responsible for the spiritual oversight of a congregation. These three describe the same role. 
is like the transitive property of equality in mathematics. This is something my nine-year-old had to remind me of. Uh, I took a lot of math classes in high school, but I have since forgotten everything. Uh, I've not taken a math class since high school, so of course I've forgotten it. I made sure to get all my math out of the way, uh, and then I since have forgotten um, just about everything. Sorry, Mrs. McDonald, you're a fine math teacher. Um, I'm just kind of a math dingus. The transitive property is if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. So that's what this is. Let me read from Titus chapter 1, and we'll see how the transitive property works here. Paul says this. He says, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders. There's that word elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer, there's another word, overseer, manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Elder and overseer in this passage are used interchangeably. A equals B. Elder equals overseer. Then in Acts, as Paul is leaving the city of Ephesus, he tells them this. He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of God, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. There's that word. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Overseer and shepherd are used interchangeably in S. So B equals If elder and overseer are the same, and overseer and shepherd are the same, then it follows that elder and shepherd, or elder and pastor, are one and the same. Elder equals overseer. Overseer equals shepherd. Elder equals shepherd or pastor. This is what we're talking about. In 1 Timothy, I will read the word overseer because that's the word used in 1 Timothy 3. But we need to understand that whichever of the words we're using, elder, overseer, shepherd, pastor, bishop, please don't call me bishop. Okay, that's a little weird. Don't call me elder either. You don't even have to call me pastor. Just call me Barrett. But understand that these roles are all the same. Do not call me reverend. Absolutely not. No, no, no. We need to understand whatever word we use, it is one office in the church, one role in the church that's being discussed. Use whatever term you like. It's one office, one role. It's the role that we, as a church, call elder. So with that in mind, if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, please turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And if you're able and willing, let's stand for the reading of God's holy word. 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manny, manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. 
He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into his trap. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You can be seated. As we seek elders, what is it we're looking for? Perfection? Are we seeking perfection? No. No one would verbally admit that perfection is what being called for here, but in practice, it's almost as if the church expects its elders and pastors and overseers to be functionally perfect. He can't mess up like the rest of us. He can't really, can't really have any issues. None of those big sins or little sins, really. He doesn't get angry. He never struggles with pride. He's omnipresent. He's at every meeting, every gathering, every event. He only ever smiles. His breath never stinks. And he makes a really, really good cup of coffee. Now the overseer must be perfect. No. No, what it says is now the overseer is to be above reproach. This is, many think, a a general heading to the qualifications for the overseer. Above reproach doesn't mean without sin, which would disqualify everyone except Jesus, it means good report. The elder's public reputation, his observable conduct, is clear of any issues. Whatever we understand this phrase to mean, and all the ins and outs of it, above reproach, we cannot take it to mean faultless. No man alive today would make the cut. Only one man in all history has been faultless. I've served with a lot of men in various churches, and whereas none of them are anywhere near perfect, the men who belong, let me emphasize this, the men who belong in the leadership of the church are above reproach. That is, there are plenty of people, those from within the church and outside the church, who have nothing bad to say about them. No charge, let's say it this way, no charge leveled against them would be able to stand up. You can imagine how this might play out. Say you're out around town and someone says something about Don or Joe, and you can say without any hesitation, nah, no, that doesn't sound like them. He wouldn't do that. And you don't even have to check into it because you know. You know he's above reproach. This above reproach is echoed in verse 7 when Paul writes, he must also have a good reputation with outsiders have a good reputation with outsiders, and above reproach, form brackets around the requirements of elders in the church. It's not a matter of being perfect, but we must understand the elder is to meet some high ideals. The elder's reputation must be able to withstand assaults when and not if they come. There's a high standard for elders, but that standard is not perfection. If we're not seeking perfection when we're looking for elders, what are we seeking? Super saints? No. We're not seeking perfection. It's not even that we're searching for super saints or super Christians. The characteristics of the elder listed here in 1 Timothy 3 are all fairly common. This list is remarkable for being unremarkable. It's unexceptional, really. There's no mention here of the level of IQ, which is great for me, because my IQ hovers somewhere around 90, I think. There's, there's no necessity of being an extrovert, which is great for me, because I'm as introverted as they come. There's nothing about education or degrees, with only one exception. 
Everything in the list of characteristics here in 1 Timothy 3, everything with one exception is required of every single Christian to some degree or another. It's not that elders and overseers and pastors are held to this ridiculous standard that no one else is. In fact, it's quite the opposite. The elder is supposed to be faithful to his wife. Does that mean that the rest of us can be unfaithful to our wives or have a, have a bunch of wives? Of course not. The elder should not be given to drunkenness. Does that mean the rest of the church can tie one on and just get plastered every day of the week? Not Sunday, of course. No, of course not. The elder must be hospitable. Can the rest of the church be selfish with their time or their homes? No, Hebrews 13, read at the beginning of worship today, makes hospitality a requirement of all believers. Here's the truth. It's not about evaluating elders and pastors and overseers with a strict code and then letting yourself slide with whatever sort of behavior you feel like. What you expect from your elders, you should expect from yourself, with one notable exception. The qualifications here for elders have nothing to do with being super spiritual or super Christians. They have everything to do with a mature faith and a calling to lead the members of the local church. Among the list of qualifications is a mix of positive and negative commands, uh, attributes. He will do this. He will be this. He, he won't do this. He won't be this. As I read through the list of qualifications, none of them, none of them make me think that Paul's going to launch into, oh yeah, he can do all of these things and he's faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. We're not seeking Superman. That's not what Paul's saying. What we're seeking is a really common, committed Christ follower. That's it. It's pretty basic stuff, really. Faithful to his wife. Let's go through these real quick. Faithful to his wife. There's nothing in this that mentions divorce or remarriage. Nothing that rules out a single man. Paul and Barnabas and Jesus would be excluded. What's called for is faithfulness. Faithful to his wife really does capture the meaning here. Where divorce is concerned, these cases, cases should be evaluated on an individual basis. When singleness is a factor, what we look for is purity and uprightness. Temperate, that is clear-headed. Self-controlled, that is disciplined. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Respectable, this is the outward expression of an inward self-control. Hospitable, literally this means a love for strangers. It's urged of all Christians, but especially of Christian leaders. Not given to drunkenness. This is not calling for total abstention, not total abstainers. Nothing, by the way, in the Bible speaks against drinking, just against drunkenness. Self-control should affect the elders' drinking, how much they drink, why they would drink, certainly not drinking to get drunk, not given to drunkenness, not violent, this is pretty clear, right? Not violent, not a bully with the tongue or the hand. Gentle, another part of the Spirit's fruit in the believer's life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Not quarrelsome. 
Oftentimes, it's immature believers who will pick a fight with one another in the church over a secondary matter or a tertiary matter or over something that doesn't matter at all. And by immature, I'm not talking about physical age. Can we just understand that? There are plenty of people in their 70s who are immature and plenty of teenagers who are mature and vice versa. has nothing to do with age. Not a lover of money. It is, after all, the love of money, not money itself, but the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. Paul writes at the end of this book, an elder won't covet. They give generously when others hoard. They're generous and willing to share. Manages his own family well. How a man leads his home, his wife, and his kids is an indication of how he'll serve in the church. Leadership, leadership begins at home. Not a recent convert. This makes good sense. Uh, you, you don't throw someone who just learned to hold their breath underwater at like kitty swim class into the middle of the ocean and say, okay, swim. No, the one who's going to lead must follow for a while. A good reputation. The non-Christian public esteems the elder well. These are not unfair, high and lofty demands that no one can meet. This is a reasonable Average Christian kind of walk. The only characteristic of elder that's not common and expected of all Christians to some degree is that the elder be able to teach. That's it. That's the the standout. That's the exception. The elder, not the deacon, not the lay leader, not the average church member, the elder. The elder must be able to teach. This is the single quote-unquote, professional qualification among this list of moral qualities. Elders, pastors, overseers are essentially teachers. What distinguishes Christian pastoral ministry is the importance of this, the importance of the Word of God in it. This is our book. This is what we teach. We preach these pages. Within these pages is the gospel, the good news about Jesus and what he did in our place. There is no message that we preach aside from that. There needs to be within the elder, pastor, overseer, a love for and a knowledge of God's word, as well as a desire to teach it, a desire to preach it, a desire to instruct others in it. We're not seeking super saints, On the contrary, we're seeking those who meet qualifications set out in the Bible, most of which apply to everyone who calls themselves a follower of Christ. As we're seeking elders, what is it we're looking for? Not perfection, not super saints, super Christians. What then are we looking for? Servant leaders? Absolutely. Servant leaders. This is as good a description of the office of elder that I have found. Servant leaders. Elders aren't just leaders in the sense that they can run a business or tell others what to do. Elders are servants of God and of his people. Under shepherds, under shepherds of the chief shepherd who serve and lead. Through their leadership and service, show others by example, in word and in deed, how to follow Christ. Leadership acumen in the world doesn't always translate to leadership ability in the church. Too often I've seen the church select elders from those who are successful in the business world because they're successful in the business world. 
A kind of leadership doesn't necessarily translate to leadership in the church. My home church, Greensburg Christian Church, cycled through elders like they were elected officials. They had one-year terms or three-year terms. Where that came from, I have no earthly... No, I do know. (laughs) It doesn't come from the Bible. It comes from the boardroom. Worldly business practices and Robert's stinking rules of order imposed upon the life of the church, it's wrong. It is, it, it's just wrong. I hate it. Robert's rules of order, I can't stand it. Boardroom practices in the church, not in here. So we don't operate that way. In my home church, there were some men in the mix in the rotation, one-year terms, three-year terms, two-year terms, a four-year term granted like it was some kind of lottery. I, I don't get it. There were some men in the mix, not because of their spiritual maturity, but because they were successful and wealthy businessmen with heavy clout and a thick pocketbook. That's it. Doug, a very successful businessman, Gary, a very wealthy farmer, and then Lloyd, the owner of an oil company, were elders for some reason. They were good and successful in the business world, good and successful at what they did. They had buckets of money, but they had no business being elders. And even as a teenager, I could see this. It was these men whom I love dearly, It was these men who pointed at the pastor and said, don't you go throwing that Bible at me. I don't want to hear it. Elders? I don't think so. And yet they were. The church, listen to me, the church doesn't need businessmen focused on efficiency and the bottom line. The church needs leaders who will step up and serve with a Bible in one hand and a basin in the other willing to teach the glorious mysteries and truths and gospel of grace of the word of God, and at the same time willing to pick up a towel and wrap it around their waist and wash some dirty, smelly, stinky sheep feet. That's what the church needs. Men who will pick up a Bible and a basin, teach and serve. We don't care at all about business acumen. We don't care at all about worldly success. We do care about faithfulness to God and to his word. You hear me? That's what I say to my kids and I find myself saying, do you hear me? (laughs) Too many churches make the mistake of going in the way of business and worldly success. And they don't evaluate the elders of the church, by the word of God. And it's to our detriment. Servant leaders are those who reflect the life and the love of Christ. A good question to ask is, if we follow these men, will our church look more like Christ? If we follow these men, will our church reflect the mission and the values of Christ? Elders and pastors and overseers must have the glory of God as their primary concern and the good of his people as their second. Those who would serve as elders aspire to the task. It's not selfish ambition for prestige and power. (laughs) I'll just break it to you. There's very little of that in church ministry anyhow, (laughs) prestige and power. It's desire. 
its deep and decisive sense of calling. God calls the man. The man desires the task. He can't not do it. And it's followed by a careful screening of church leadership to see if they meet the requirements that are listed. Those who lead and serve and teach will be held to a higher standard. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says this. He says, judgment for the teacher in the church will be more severe. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Ask Don. To be an elder is half terrifying. This is no task to jump into blindly. This is a role that requires much thought and prayer. It calls for calling. It demands desire. There are a group of men that the Lord has raised up at this moment to become elders, servant leaders of this local congregation. And there are more. I can think of a half dozen more men who are considering and wrestling with the call to eldership. This morning, we're going to have four of these men come down front. And Don and Joe and I, as the current elders, overseers, shepherds of Ritual Christian Church, will install these four men as the next elders of Ritual Christian Church. Tyler Black, Josh Intrican, Jimmy Kithcart, and Richard Kithcart are men who desire the position they're going to come forward. You missed your cue, guys. Come on. There you are. Men who desire the position and have, with much prayer and consideration, recognized the call of God on their lives. With the full and joyous affirmation of the elders and others within the church, these are the men whom the Holy Spirit has made elders and overseers and shepherds of this local body. We know these men as faithful men, faithful to their wives, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not quarrelsome, gentle, not lovers of money, men with good reputations both inside and outside the church. We thank the Lord for giving us Tyler and Josh and Jimmy and Richard. We are so thankful to add them to the elder team here. So men, I'm going to read this exhortation over you, and then Don and Joe are going to come and lay their hands on you, and we're going to pray for each one. Listen now to this exhortation from 1 Peter. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Now, we're going to do this alphabetically by last name. Um, they're in no particular order, okay? <laughs> alphabetically by last name. Tyler, do you commit yourself by God's grace and with his help to love and care for God's people who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus, to tend God's flock, to teach, shepherd, oversee, and protect them? Josh, do you commit yourself, by God's grace and with his help, to love and care for God's people who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus, to tend God's flock, to teach, shepherd, oversee, and protect them? Jimmy, do you commit yourself, by God's grace and with his help, 
to love and care for God's people who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus, to tend God's flock, to teach, shepherd, oversee, and protect them. Richard, do you commit yourself by God's grace and with his help to love and care for God's people who have been purchased by his blood, to tend God's flock, to teach, shepherd, oversee, and protect them? We as the elders of this church are going to pray for these men, Joe, Don, as they answer the call and step up into the role of elder and overseer and shepherd. And would you join us, please, uh, as we pray for these men? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for each one of these men and for the other men that are considering the call to be leaders, shepherds, overseers of this church. Father, I thank you for Tyler and for TJ and Dalen and Caden. ask that you bless them as they seek to lead and to serve this local church. Father, I pray for Josh and Melissa, for Jarrett and Jaylee and Maddie, as they seek to lead and to teach and to serve this local congregation. Pray for Jimmy and Lindsay, Andrew and Matthew, as they lead, as they serve this local congregation. I pray for Richard and Karen and Evan and David, as they seek to serve and to teach and to lead this local congregation. We are so grateful to you that you have entrusted these men to this church and entrusted this church to these men to lead and to guide, to love and to care for those who have been purchased by your blood. We give you praise for the wondrous work that you have done, are doing, and will continue to do in and through this local body of believers. We love you and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us rejoice. It is our honor to present to you the newest elders and overseers, shepherd pastors of Rich Hill Christian Church. Let us rejoice and be glad this morning, excited for the future, hopeful in Christ, and in what he will do in and through the people and leaders of this local congregation. With a plurality of elders, a larger number of elders working together, we will be better equipped to serve and to lead and to care. As a group of elders, we have a fire burning within us. Our last meeting was like two hours long. Sorry to all the families out there that were waiting on their husbands and fathers. We have a fire burning within us to see Rich Hill Christian Church become the church that he would have us to be, a church that makes disciples, a church that ministers to the saints, a church that reaches the lost and spreads the good news about Jesus to Rich Hill and to Bates County, to Missouri, to the nations. There will be changes made, some good, all of them good, hopefully, Uh, changes that the Lord is leading us to, not to say that won't be hard, but it's necessary. But we're doing, and we are all of us for doing Bible things in Bible ways, for the glory of God and for the good of the people. We, all of us, want more and more people to come to know Jesus Christ, yes? That's our goal, and this is a step in that direction. Would you pray with me one more time? Father, we thank you for your word, for its instruction. Praise God,
Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Love you all. Taking up where we left off.